Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Bill Gadd College of Pharmacy. It's January 19th, 2023, and we are going to do a Landmarks of Onco Farm episode. Uh, I'm, I'm incredibly buried right now in, in academic work with a lot of teaching, and I was like, what am I going to do? And I saw um, in, uh, I guess it was yesterday's uh, table of contents or newly published from the Journal of Clinical Oncology that there is a new series called the, I, I think, like, I don't know if that's a name for it, but it's like the flashback series where they are reviewing the landmark clinical trials from the past. I'm not saying they got the idea from the podcast, but, um, you know, let's just say that the, the possibility exists. Um, so anyway, this is the first one that I have seen. As far as I can tell, the first one they did was earlier this month looking at rituximab for, for relapsed um, uh, indolent non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So, um, and this is a study that we have not talked about uh, in great detail. So I thought we would talk about the use of interferon alpha in the adjuvant treatment of, of melanoma. Um, I'm always, and I mentioned this before in the podcast, I'm fascinated by melanoma and renal cell carcinoma. These are diseases in different parts of the body, different histology, both not really susceptible to cytotoxic chemotherapy, both disease states that respond well to immune therapy and immune checkpoint inhibitors now, and even before that to high dose interleukin-2 interferon alpha studied here, both disease states that have a high propensity for um, spontaneous CNS hemorrhage if it's spread to the brain. A lot of similarities between these two agents that that, um, that you can connect the dots that you never would otherwise uh, has has fascinated me. It's not it's not exactly like looking at breast cancer and prostate cancer, which also have a lot of similarities, being hormonally driven, a high propensity to spread to the bones, um, despite being uh, one uh, all in males and one predominantly in females. So. Let's talk about this interferon study. Uh, we'll go through the study, and then there's a, a flashback forward that's like three paragraphs written to accompany this to put the perspective of why this study uh, was important, which we'll go over uh, shortly. So this is the, uh, the ECOG, or E1684 study. So it's a cooperative group study. And I'll mention how you know it's a cooperative group study when we go through the, uh, the methods here by Kirkwood and colleagues published in uh, Journal of Clinical Oncology in 1996. Now, in 1996, in January, when this was published, the first sentence is melanoma incidence is increasing at a rate that exceeds all other solid tumors. The more things change, the more things stay the same. That's still true. Melanoma rates are still continuing to increase. How much of that is increased sun exposure tanning? How much of that is increased diagnosis and maybe even overdiagnosis? So, the, the genesis of this study goes back to uh, a randomized controlled trial of interferon alpha 2b um, uh, that showed in, in patients uh, with, uh, with metastatic disease showing response rates of 15 to 20%, which is kind of what you expected to see back then for cytotoxic chemo for metastatic disease. Uh, you know, not terribly impressive response rate that puts those those 50% response rates you often see with tyrosine kinase inhibitors in metastatic disease into perspective here. Uh, so this study um, started to enroll patients between 1984 and 1990, peak John Bazaar childhood years, uh, as one to seven during this range. And then, so, so this study is published in 96. They enrolled patients 12 years earlier in 84, enrolled patients for six years up to 1990, and then they wait three years 
until they unblind it and start to analyze the data. That's how you know it's a cooperative group study. It goes slow, unlike an, uh, probably an industry-sponsored study would have had, you know, uh, they would have been reporting results, uh, you know, in 1988 probably before they'd even enrolled all patients or shortly thereafter in 1990. Um, but that is the way things were done. Things, things were a bit slower uh, back then. All right, whenever you look at an old study, and I won't get into the details, but if you're ever doing a journal club, for example, and you're looking at an old study, uh, you want to get an idea, has the, uh, the staging system changed? And it actually has changed even from when they in, in started this study to when they, they published it. But this is looking at what we'd call now stage 2B uh, and 3A patients, but even some patients with regional nodal recurrence. So folks who had surgical resection and then um, on, say of, of, a, of a cutaneous melanoma and then there was lymph node recurrence. Those folks were included in the study. There were um, about 140 patients in each arm. So patients are randomized to either observation or interferon alpha, which I'll, I'll go over that schedule uh, in a second. Um, and they were stratified by, by staging here. So the interferon alpha schedule is, is 20 million units IV for five days of the week for four weeks, followed by 10 million units uh, per meter squared, um, uh, sub-Q three times a week. Uh, so 20 units per meter squared uh, daily for four weeks, then 10 units per meter, 10 million units per meter squared, three times a week, sub-Q for 40 weeks. So a year total of interferon uh, alpha 2B. Um, I will point out uh, that because they did allow inclusion of people with recurrent nodal disease, that was the predominant number of people in the study. Like more than 60% of people in the study had uh, recurrent nodal disease. Um, the, they're about 10% and 10%, uh, you know, about 10% 2B, and then the rest were stage, uh, stage 3A uh, patients here. Uh, so they get their year of interferon or observation, and they're looking at, at efficacy. Uh, so there was a, a significant difference in relapse-free survival. Uh, median relapse-free survival, 1.72 years with interferon compared to 0.98 years. Let's call that one for placebo. A one-sided p-value is 0.0023. You can double that, still be less than 0.5. This was before the advent of alpha splitting when that was common. But as you'll see, when you look at our median overall survival, it was 3.82 with interferon. Placebo was 2.78. So you could round both of those to 3.8 and 2.8 respectively. So about a year increase in median overall survival. Um, that p-value, one side is 0.0237. You double that, you're getting uh, about 0.45, a little bit more than that. So that would probably be considered statistically significant, but you'd have to think if they had done some alpha splitting and and powered primarily for relapse-free survival, that perhaps that overall survival would not be statistically significant. Um, the five-year estimated survival rate for interferon is 46% versus 37% for placebo. Were that statistically significant? Um, that would be a, a number needed trait of 11. So, so fairly impactful. And if you look at our, our Kaplan-Meier curves for both relapse-free survival and for overall survival, you see that there's benefit pretty much right away in both instances. Uh, within the first year or two, which is when most of the, the recurrence and the death occurred. And then the curves are pretty parallel thereafter. There's not a separation later, which makes sense because there's not other treatments that we have besides surgery uh, and, and the whack-a-mole surgery that happens with um, with metastatic melanoma where you think there's no disease, there's one side disease, you cut that out a year later, there's another side disease, just one side, oligometastatic disease that can be resected. That's what I mean by the whack-a-mole approach. 
Um, so clear, clear activity here, and um, everyone was really excited about this for metastatic melanoma. Now there is, uh, there are some downsides, um, and and we'll get to that here by going uh, back to this uh, flashback forward that's written by Gary Schwartz, who's a, who's a, an associate editor at JCO. So. Almost half the patients had, 48% had grade three or four constitutional side effects, so fever, chills, things like that. 28%, um, so more than one in four, had grade three or four neurologic toxicity, which often for, for neurologic toxicity, you think, what is that? Confusion? Is that altered mental status? A lot of times it's depression for interferon. Okay, so that can be pretty, pretty uh, damaging and uh, impactful. Two patients died of lethal hepatic events. Uh, there's also uh, not an insignificant amount of myelosuppression, I think usually anemia, especially with interferon. Um, so this was not an easy thing to tolerate. And there's a nice table in the study looking at the number, basically the percentage of patients who got at least 80% of what dose was planned. And, and two-thirds got 80% of what they needed in that, uh, that first month induction. Um, and by the end of randomization, when you're starting your, your last month of maintenance, uh, only 25% had been able to receive at least 80% dose uh, intensity of what was planned. So you can see a lot of dose delays and um, a lot of dose interruptions and, and holding the drug because of of toxicity of, of interferon. So because this high dose interferon was so toxic, despite suggesting um, you know clinically significant benefit on top of what we saw that was statistically significant, there was uh, an intergroup E1690 study that looked at low-dose interferon, so a lower dose compared to high-dose compared to observation, so a three-arm study. And uh, in that study, no difference in overall survival between high-dose interferon, low-dose interferon, or placebo, which really put a damper in adjuvant interferon for melanoma. Uh, there was uh, an aortic study, so European Organization uh, for Research and Treatment of Cancer, looked at pegylated interferon compared to observation. After seven years, they did they saw an increase improvement in relapse-free survival, but no difference in overall survival. And I, I can remember one of the first HOPA sessions I went to um, as, as a resident or maybe a, um, a new practitioner was a debate about the value of high-dose adjuvant interferon for these patients uh, because you have one positive study and then a couple studies that are not negative, um, or that are negative, sorry, that are not positive um, with regards to the benefit here. So um, there was certainly uh, activity um, or evidence of activity here, but, but it wasn't proven with confirmatory data. And I think that's one thing that hopefully will be a take-home message is if the benefit is really there, Another study doing the same thing or close to the same thing should show that same benefit. Otherwise, um, there either is not benefit or whatever benefit there is, is is very small and perhaps negligible. I think that's an important point in the era where clinical practice guidelines change based on one study with 100 or fewer patients. Um, that doesn't mean that that is incorrect to change practice based on that, but it means there's uh, less confidence that that is actually the correct thing, and so we're going to have to expect a lot of reverse courses um, when we uh, make treatment practice decisions and, and practice guideline amendments and changes based on, uh, on lower quality and lower quantity of data. So that is our Landmarks episode. Kept it short this week. 
since last week was a longer episode as well. I'll be back next week with something. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.